In our reading this morning, God speaks some home truths to the people of Israel. None of us like home truths, do we? I don't suppose they did either. But he promises a better future if they obey him. And we read from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 16 to 36 from the Good News Translation. And God is speaking to Ezekiel. And he says, The Lord spoke to me. Mortal man, he said, when the Israelites were living in their land, they defiled it by the way they lived and acted. I regarded their behaviour as being as ritually unclean as a woman is during her monthly period. I let them feel the force of my anger because of the murders they had committed in the land and because of the idols by which they had defiled it. I condemned them for the way they lived and acted, and I scattered them through foreign countries. Wherever they went, they brought disgrace on my holy name, because people would say, these people are of the Lord, these are people of the Lord, but they had to leave his land. That made me concerned for my holy name, since the Israelites brought disgrace on it everywhere they went. Now then, give the Israelites the message that I, the Sovereign Lord, have for them. What I am going to do is not for the sake of you Israelites, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have disgraced in every country where you have gone. When I demonstrate to the nations the holiness of my great name, the name you disgraced among them, then they will know that I am the Lord. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. I will use you to show the nations that I am holy. I will take you from every nation and country and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean from all your idols and everything else that has defiled you. I will give you a new heart and a new mind. I will take away your stubborn heart of stone and give you an obedient heart. I will put my spirit in you and will see to it that you follow my laws and keep all the commands I have given you. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from everything that defiles you. I will command the grain to be plentiful so that you will not have any more famines. I will increase the yield of your fruit trees and your fields so that there will be no more famines to disgrace you among the nations. You will remember your evil conduct and the wrongs that you committed and you will be disgusted with yourselves because of your sins and your iniquities. Israel, I want you to know that I am not doing all this for your sake. I want you to feel the shame and disgrace of what you are doing. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. The Sovereign Lord says, When I make you clean from all your sins, I will let you live in your cities again and let you rebuild the ruins. Everyone who used to walk by your fields saw how overgrown and wild they were, but I will let you farm them again. Everyone will talk about how this land, which was once a wilderness, has become like the Garden of Eden, and how the cities which were torn down, looted and left in ruins are now inhabited and fortified. Then the neighbouring nations that have survived will know that I, the Lord, rebuild ruined cities and replant waste fields. I, the Lord, have promised that I would do this, and I will.
Amen. So it's God's word to us this morning. You might have heard the story of the child who once asked why God's name was Harold. Why do you think God is called Harold? Was the counter question. To its response as well. You know that prayer that we say, Our Father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name. Arcane language doesn't necessarily help us understand the words we pray. Among modern translations of the Lord's Prayer, the main alternative is, is may your holy name be honoured. Yet I can't help wondering whether honouring God's name somewhat dilutes the impact of this phrase in the Lord's Prayer. It is a petition that God's name should be holy, sacred, revered. As such, to say, O God, or O Christ, or Jesus, as an expression of surprise, frustration, or anger, is in a real sense to desecrate the name of God rather than treating it as holy. That kind of practice might have originated in, in a kind, as a kind of arrow prayer, calling on God's name when you're in trouble or where things are going wrong, but that's not how a lot of people use it. I don't think people who use God's name that way do so with the conscious intent necessarily of degrading the name of God into a swear word. Many people who use God's name that way do so without even thinking really about the words that they're saying. We live in a society where the name of God isn't treated or regarded as holy. So right at the start of the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded that calling on the name of God is something you need to do with reverence. Just like you should only dial 999 in a real emergency, so you should only use the name of God if you mean business with him in your prayers or your praises. There's a Jewish prayer called the Kaddish, which begins in a very similar way to the start of the Lord's Prayer. Suggests that the model of prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples was rooted in Jewish tradition. The Kaddish begins with these words, Glorified and sanctified be God's great name throughout the world, which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and during your days, and within the life of the entire house of Israel, speedily and soon, and say, Amen. The Jewish culture in which Jesus grew up would hardly, if ever, have used the name of God as a swear word. As I mentioned earlier, the Hebrew name of God is written as an unpronounceable YHWH, which some people think may have been pronounced Yahweh. It's been corrupted into the name Jehovah by those who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. But in practice, Jews would avoid speaking the name of God at all. And where the name of God is written in the Hebrew Bible, they would always say the word Adonai, which means Lord. And in English translations where you see the Lord written in capital letters, that is what it refers to. It's the name of God written there in the original that's been transliterated into Lord in English. And these days lots of Jews when referring to God will use the term Hashem, which means the name. Because the name of God can be used to represent God himself. When you honour God's name as holy, you honour God himself as holy. If you dishonour God's name, you dishonour God. So if in Jesus' day God's name was treated with such respect and was perceived as being so holy you couldn't even say it, what did it mean to pray, may your name be sacred? Well, the prayer can be understood in a variety of ways. It can be understood simply as an expression of praise or worship. We began our service with Psalm 103, a call to praise God's holy name. Psalm 105 summons us to glory in God's holy name. Psalm 106 says we should should give thanks to God's holy name. The point is that God's holy name should evoke in us a response of praise and thanksgiving and a sense of privilege in being able to call on him and trust in him. 
And when we respond to the name of God with reverence, praise and thanksgiving, then we are treating God's name as holy. That's right and proper. And the Lord's Prayer begins with praise in that way. Not that God is so insecure, he needs us to tell him how wonderful he is. But for us, if we're praying, it's worth reminding ourselves about who it is we're praying to. Otherwise, our thoughts and worries just go round and round and round in our minds without ever really passing them up to God. Prayer starts by recognising who it is that we're communicating with. And when we remember that God is awesome, God is holy, God is majestic, God is powerful, then we realise we are in actual fact dealing with a deity who is worth praying to. The invocation that God's name should be holy reminds us to treat prayer seriously and engage with God in due reverence and awe. There is a danger perhaps in just, just thinking about the holiness of God as a corrective to the intimacy of being able to call God Dad or Father or Abba. In, in, in Luke's Gospel, the, the prayer is simpler than in Matthew's Gospel, it just says, Father, hallowed be your name. And it's not as if Jesus is saying, well, yeah, you can call God Dad, there's the intimacy and closeness there, but don't get too close because he's holy. Although I guess you can see those two things as balancing out. But in Isaiah 57 verse 15, God speaks as the one who is high and lofty, who lives forever and whose name is holy. But this is what he says. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, yes, the holiness of God does mean that God is way up there. But equally, if we are humble before him, then we find that he is right alongside us as well. To revive us and lift us up. That may be part of what Jesus meant when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we honour God's name as holy, then God in his sovereignty is right there with us and for us. But we need to be careful because there are other ways in which we can des desecrate the name of God apart from using it as a swear word. When we as the people who are called by God's name live in ways that betray that identity, then we bring the name of God into disrepute. We acknowledge God as holy by keeping his commands and following, him, following them. When we fail to do that, we profane his holy name. So it's hardly surprising that God resolutely condemns some of the more abhorrent practices that went on from time to time in child sacrifice, in worship of the God of Molech, that is totally condemned as defiling God's sanctuary and profaning his holy name. The prophet Amos condemns the practice of father and son having sex with the same girl because to degrade a woman in this way profanes the holy name of God. In Romans, Paul lists a number of sins that result in the name of God being blasphemed among the nations. At the root of all of them lies the underlying sin of hypocrisy, the failure to live out one's faith in practice, the kind of thing that makes people go, and that person calls himself a Christian, how can they live like that then? So Paul says, if you preach against stealing, do you steal? If you say that people shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You say you abhor the worship of idols, but do you nick stuff out of an idol's temple? You pride yourself on having the law, but do you dishonour God by breaking the law? He goes on to take a quotation from the prophet Isaiah and applies it to people who do such things. The name of God is blasphemed 
among the nations because of you. If we call on the name of God and we are known by the name of God, but we fail to live up to the name of God, then we bring the name of God into disrepute. To say, may your name be holy, has an impact upon how we live. And it hits home because all too often in the news there are reports of this or that Christian leader being caught up in some scandal or other. This last week, a deacon in the Church of England in Manchester, accused of sexual offences involving 29 boys aged between 11 and 17 over a period of 20 years. Such things hit the headlines right alongside the stories of all the celebrities who've similarly, similarly abused positions of power and of trust. And they will always make the news because those who have reverend in front of their name betray that title by engaging in such behaviour. And they bring into disrepute the holy name of God whom they profess to serve. So for us to, to pray today, hallowed be your name, brings us right up against the repeated high-profile failings of the church. Because what God's dream is, that people should look at the church, those of us who acknowledge the name of God as holy, and be so, be, be so moved by our worship and example to revere the name of God themselves. And when we fail lamentably in that task, the church has a real PR problem. When we pray for God's name to be holy, we recognise both the holiness of God and also the corresponding imperative to us that because God is holy, we need to be holy too. We need to move from where we are now to a place where God's name is honoured among the nations on our account, rather than being blasphemed among them because of how we, his people, behave. Yet the good news for us, even as we think upon that bad news, is that it is still in God's heart to restore his people for the sake of his holy name. In its original context, that quotation from the prophet Isaiah that Paul uses in Romans 2, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, speaks of God's determination to restore his people. Because the last thing he wants is for his name to be dragged through the mud by them and because of them. So this is a big theme in the prophet Ezekiel. Through this prophet, the Lord declares that he will stop people profaning his holy name for the worship of idols. Out of zeal for his holy name, which they have brought into disrepute, God is going to act to save them and rescue them from exile. God will have compassion on his people, bring them back from captivity, and in this way he will make his, holy, his name holy again. God will act out of zeal to protect and restore his reputation, the reputation of his holy name, by rescuing his people. For the sake of his holy name which they profaned, God will act to show the nations who poured scorn on his name on account of his people that he is still the Lord Yahweh himself. And before their eyes, God will show himself to be holy through his people by bringing them back to their own land, cleansing them of their impurities, giving them a new heart, moving them by his spirit to follow his decrees and be careful to keep his laws. God promises that he will vindicate the holiness of his name by restoring his people. And that too is the dimension, Lord, may your name be holy. Lord, restore your church. Lord, restore your people. May we be people who bring honour to your name again. May people see that you are a God who acts on behalf of his people to vindicate the holiness of your great name. The holiness of God's name is bound up with our identity as his people. 
He will not, he will not abandon us or disown us to salvage his own reputation. He won't say those people have nothing to do with me. No, we belong to him. He is bound to us. We are called by his name. He will not let us go. So for us to pray that his name should be holy applies to us as well, that we should honour his name in our worship and in our lifestyle and that thereby others would come to recognise the name of God as holy too. Thinking about the name of God as holy, as holy doesn't mean that we should openly disapprove every time somebody uses the name of God as a swear word. It goes deeper than that. It means that they should look at us as Christians and be moved to honour the name of God by the lives that they see as living. That's what it's about, to pray for the name of God as holy. Not to disapprove of what others do, but to ask that in our worship, in our words, and in our lifestyle, the name of God might be exalted and revered as holy by us and by others who see how we live. And so we do pray, Father, hallowed be thy name.